Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to jump in. There's a, a beautiful um, Pesach uh, in, in this uh, week's Parsha, uh, Akev, and um, it's, uh, I guess, it's, we're in Devarim, so it's, I guess, chapter 7, uh, verse uh, 22. It's talking, about, it's talking about conquering the land of Israel. And it says something very, very interesting. It says, Hashem, your God, will thrust these nations from before you little by little. You will not be able to annihilate them quickly, lest the beasts of the field increase against you. So on a very sort of straightforward um, military level, what this is talking about is that the conquest, the military conquest of the land of Israel, remember the Jews have left Egypt, Hashem, Generations, hundreds of years before that, has promised the land of Israel to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And now we're leaving Egypt. We've spent 40 years in the desert. And now we're going into the land and we're going to conquer the land. There's seven nations in the land. We're going to conquer the land. And Hashem tells us something in a way that's very surprising. Because you would think that we would just kind of move right into the land. Or maybe the nations wouldn't be there. Or maybe all the nations that were there would just flee upon hearing that we're coming. You know, it's, it's, but it's very instructive about our own lives, because remember, in all these talks, we're always talking about us today, right now, and the challenges in our lives. That's always something important to, to keep in mind. This isn't just a, a history lesson. The Torah is forever, which means that every aspect of the Torah, even if it's talking about events from thousands of years ago, are relevant this second. Okay. So, so you might ask yourself, like, imagine, I, you know, I always, I always thought this, this is probably only going to be funny to me. It's just, it's just kind of an odd thought. Can you imagine, like, you give someone a birthday present, right? And what's it, it's all wrapped up, and they wrap it up, and then, what is it? It's, um, it's a book that you took out for them from the library. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's like, yeah, I thought you'd enjoy this. So to make this more real, there's, a, there's, a, there's another mitzvah in this week's Parsha, which talks about removing this, this blockage on our hearts. And, you know, it's, it's very instructive to think that, that we're born with a blockage on our hearts. I think that's very, very important. You know, one of the things that I, I sort of like regularly talk about in, 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 in these in these discussions, um, is that a person, unless they know where they are, unless they know what the ground rules are of life, they're going to wander through life very confused. And when your expectations are dashed constantly, then you become alienated and you become depressed and, and life becomes like a drag, basically. So, so, you know, I always try to come up with different crazy examples but, you know, one thing is, is like, can you imagine going to like a, um, you know, a football game and just sitting there and wondering why a waiter hasn't come by to take your order? You know, because you're, at, you're not at a restaurant. You're at a football game. And then you get a hot dog and you say, this is the worst sushi I've ever had in my life. It's a hot dog. But if you think that you're in a different place... You're constantly going to have your expectations dashed. So when I say these things to you, 
What I'm trying to give you is ground rules for reality, for this world. Because once you incorporate these things, you're going to have a much smoother life. Because you're going, to actually, you're going to actually understand where you are at. Because God is telling us where we're at in the Torah. But we have to really read it carefully in order to understand. Okay. So one of these major, major principles is the fact that we have a blockage over our hearts. We're born that way. Now, the reason why that's so significant is because, you know, I heard this once, and I don't remember from where, but it's, it's, it's so true. The largest distance in the entire universe is between the mind and the heart. Okay, you can know something intellectually, but if it hasn't landed in your heart, then, you know, it's, it's basically useless information. In fact, not only is it, can it be somewhat useless, it can actually be counterproductive. Because your mind is going to be telling you something, but your heart is going to be overruling your mind, and you're just going to walk around confused. So the idea is that information has to go from the mind to the heart. And, you know, I can't tell you that without throwing in my most favorite teaching from Rip Shlomo, that that's the job of the payas. That's why we have payas. The payas are the connection between the mind and the heart. And you don't want to sever the payas because you don't want to make that separation between the mind and the heart. And, you know, that's a special mitzvah for men, and it's anything below the cheekbone is called payas, even though some people have the custom to beautify them and to really grow them out. Okay, so, so why am I telling you this? Because we think that, you know something, if I'm just sort of like a sincere person, if I'm a sincere person and I want to learn, and I'm paying attention, then all teachings should go from my mind to my heart, right? We know there's a highway, right, between the mind and the heart. should work. Everything's good. Except... God is giving us a very important piece of information. There's a huge roadblock in between. Have you ever wondered why the teachings don't go from your mind to your heart automatically? Have you ever wondered why? God is telling you why. There's a roadblock. God put the roadblock there on purpose. And he told you that there's a roadblock there so that you can knock down the roadblock. He said knock it down. I'm putting it there, knock it down. Oh, okay. Well, then you realize, okay, well, that's, that's good. So now, now I'm learning something very important. Now I'm learning that everything that I learn in, in a talk from life, now I have to push that thought into my heart. I have to apply it to my heart. And that that's an active effort and work. Okay, well... You know, a lot of times people use code words. Here's one code word. Chazora. It means review. So people think, okay, well then I'll just go over it in my mind again. But you know what? That's not what Chazora is. No one explains these things. Chazora means that I'm taking that information and I'm going over it in order to push it into my heart. To knock down that roadblock. Okay, very important. Now, I want to get back to this passage that we started off with. This idea that we're going to conquer the land. So again, I hope that you all see the parallel here. God gives us this land of Israel, this huge present, has been promising it to us at this point in history for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then says, oh, and you have to fight a war against seven nations in order to get it. Right? 
Just like, I'm going to teach you the most precious thing in the world. I'm going, to pre- I'm going to teach you the Torah. I'm going to teach you the Torah. But you know what? In order to learn it, you're going to have to knock down this roadblock between your mind and your heart. Okay, so, so hopefully we're developing a theme here. Now, now, let's look at this more closely. God says, I'm going to allow you to conquer it, but not quickly. It's not going to be all at once. You're going to go slowly, little by little. And the phrase that the Torah uses is, it says, Ni'at, Ni'at. Ni'at means a little bit. Ni'at, Ni'at. Now, I was looking at these two words, Ni'at, Ni'at. And I think that there's a real lesson in here. Ni'at means a little bit. So, you know what? The gematria of Ni'at is 119. Now, I'll, I'll explain that in a moment, just an idea that I got. But, but first, let me give you kind of like a bit of a brain teaser, okay? Imagine you have an, a, a length of string, okay? And this length of string is composed of infinity, all right? It's one length of string, but it's made out of infinity, now, if I snip off a small piece of that string, how large is that string? Infinity. Exactly. So a small piece of the infinite is also infinite. Let's revisit this word mi'at. Mi'at is, means a little, and it's gematria 119. In the Sefer Tehillim, in the book of Psalms, 119 is the longest psalm by far in the entire book. So a little bit equals the biggest thing in the world. A snip of infinity is infinite. Let's look at it again. Miat Miat is Gematria 238. Now, there's a rule in Gematria. I'm not going to go into too much depth. You just have to take my word for it. There's a rule in Gematria where you can add the letter Yud, which is 10. So that means miat miat, little by little, equals 248, which is the number of all the positive mitzvahs in the Torah. Which means that if you start slowly, if you go miat miat, if you go little by little in terms of your acquisition of the infinite, in terms of your service of God, you will reach 248, which is all the positive commandments of the entire Torah. You'll reach the whole Torah just by proceeding steadily. But it's hard to proceed steadily because there's so many setbacks in life. Ah, but if you know we're fighting the war against the seven nations, if you know there's a blockage between the mind and the heart, then the little by little is all of a sudden a different ball game. You go, okay, I'm expecting challenges. I'm waking up and it's not, oh, this happened, oh, that happened, oh, this happened. It's like, okay, here's an opportunity. Okay, here's another opportunity. Okay, something's going wrong. Sorry, you can't depress me because I was expecting it. <laughs> Not like, oh, everything goes wrong. Not that. It's like, okay, it's good. See, I want to get, I want to get deeper. I want to get deeper. And believe it or not, this is really one of the main things I wanted to talk about. You know, this, the, the Chet HaMaraglim, 
also translated as the sin of the spies, exposed a very dark corner of the mind and the heart of the Jewish people. Let's, let's just go over very quickly what happened. We left Egypt. We went to Mount Sinai. We got the Torah. We were at Mount Sinai for one year. A lot of people don't realize that. We, were, we stayed at Mount Sinai for one year. After that one year, God says, okay, it's time to go. We're going into the land of Israel. God was miraculously shortening the trip. It was going to be a trip. In three days, we were going to cover the ground of many, many more days than that. This was going to be the end of history, basically. This was going to be the equivalent, more or less, of if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from the tree of knowledge and Shabbos had come in the Garden of Eden. Okay? This was like, this was a big moment. This was a big moment. And before we went into the land of Israel, we said to Moshe, we said, you know, Moshe, before we go in, let's just make sure we can conquer the land. See, they somehow, somehow this idea of this challenge that faces us, somehow that was a blockage in the heart of the Jewish people. See, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Because God gives us challenges, and we think intellectually, I'm not up to that challenge. Now, sometimes we aren't up to that challenge. Right now, I have to face the fact that I'm not going to be on the Lakers. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I could say, hey man, you believe in God? God can do anything? Think positively? You can be on the Lakers. You know what? I can't be on the Lakers. I can't be. Unless, I mean, I guess God could make a miracle or something like that. But, I mean, more likely, I'm not, honestly, I'm not going to pray for that miracle. You know? So, I, I don't think it's likely. So, there are certain things that rationally, if you talk with friends and, 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 and good grounded people, they can tell you whether something is actually possible or not. Sometimes you'll have friends who will be naysayers, and they'll tell you something isn't possible when it really is possible. Okay, let's adjust for all of that. But what I'm trying to say is that there are certain things which are possible, and I'm thinking about something very specific right now, which is keeping the mitzvahs in the Torah. There's something that is possible, and sometimes we think it isn't possible. And believe it or not, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to bash uh, any religions, but it's important for you to know that one of the foundations of Christianity, in terms of the origin of Christianity, was that the Torah was too hard for us to keep. And that we can't do it. We're, it's just too hard. And God, who created us, and who gave us the Torah, remember, the Torah has 248 positive commandments, 365 lotases, prohibitions, and our bodies are made out of 248, is it limbs or organs, and 365 sinews, whatever the exact medical term is. In other words, our body is precisely parallel the mitzvahs in the Torah. Every mitzvah in the Torah parallels a different part of the body. 248 and 365. In other words, God who made the Torah is the same God who made us 
And He made it possible for us to do the Torah 100%. 100%. So the idea, well, I can't do that, but you can do that. But you can do that. But here's where it gets deeper. Here's where it gets deeper. I'm going to read to you right now from Gomorrah Gittin. And this is, um, this is Dath Mem Gimel, Ahmed Aleph, 43a. And there's a discussion here, and, and the truth is it's a fascinating discussion, and it actually relates to some stuff that we were talking about, but it's going to be, I think, a little bit too detailed to get into right now. But it's about marrying a half-breed slave woman, <laughs> okay? Maybe I can say it very, very quickly. The idea is, the Gomorrah asks a fascinating question, but, but we're not changing the subject right now. We're getting, to, we're getting to a line in the Gomorrah which is coming up. Because let me just, I want to make sure that I ground it so that you don't lose the, uh, the, 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 the flow of this, uh, this thought. A rabbi here is about to make a mistake. He, and he's going to reverse a decision based on what his ruling is. Okay? And then he's going to tell us about the importance of making mistakes. Okay? So just so you know where we're going, let's step back and just get into this very interesting case in the Gomorrah. So, you have a case where you have a slave woman who is owned by two masters. One of the masters frees her. The other master hasn't freed her. So now you have a very peculiar case. You have a woman who's half free, half still enslaved. Okay? Now, I want to marry this woman. And I marry her. And the question is, is that a valid kedushin? Is that an official certified marriage according to Jewish law? So, so um, Rabbah says, no, of course it's not a complete marriage. You know why? Because it's like marrying half a woman. If, can you imagine I say, I want to marry you. You know what? I, you have such a good brain. I love your brain. I want to marry you from the neck up. <laughs> is that? I thought we stand under the chuppah, right? The, the woman just kind of sticks her head under the chuppah, right? And, and you break the glass and everyone says, Mazel tov. Is that, is that, according to Jewish law, a, a, uh, a, a proper marriage? And the answer is no. You can't marry half a woman. Okay, fine. Then, Rav Chizda comes back and says, you know what, your analogy is all off. That's not the proper analogy to, to evaluate whether you can marry a, half, a half-freed woman or a half-slave woman. That's, a, that's not the proper analogy. Because now listen to this. Listen to this. This, is, this will give you an idea of the beauty of... Gesundheit. Bless you. This will give you an idea of just a little moment in Gomorrah's study and why this has been like the, the engine that's fueled the Jewish people for thousands of years right now. Listen just to the beauty of this type of thinking. Rav Chista says, let's reapproach the problem. I, I don't think your model is, is proper, Rabbah. It's more like this. She's half free. Okay? When he marries her, he's marrying all of the free part. He's marrying 100% of the part that's available to marry. So it should be a good marriage. Does everyone hear that? 
So you say, well, you didn't eat the whole cake, but you only served me half the cake and I ate half the cake. So I acquired 100% of what was available. Is everyone here? And Rava says, you know something, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's a good marriage. Alright? But now, here's the point that I wanted to get to. And I have to reset the table so you understand. Because a major, 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 major foundation of Torah is being set out right now. It's another one of these ground rules of understanding the world. Okay? You're about to hear it. Rava said, you know what? You're right. And you know what? He wasn't embarrassed at all. You think, Rava, why? He issued the wrong halacha. And this is babble. This is like... They're explaining the entire Torah right now. This is going to be for all times. The stakes are very, very high. And he's one of the leaders of like the Jewish people for all time. In terms of, he's like a Moshe Rabbeinu, okay? So, so Rabbi goes, you know, no sweat. He says, he says, he quotes a verse from the prophet Yeshaya, Isaiah, and he says, and this stumbling block is under your hand. Right? And, uh, believe it or not, now what's the, what's the last, what's the last thing, this stumbling block is under your hand. What, what is the very last thing in the entire world that you think that the rabbis would understand stumbling block to be code for on a deeper level? The Torah, Right? The Torah is the opposite of a stumbling block, right? And yet, Rabbah says here that the stumbling block is referring to the Torah. And it's under your hand. Why is the Torah referred to as a stumbling block? Because, listen to what Rabbah says, here is the headline. A man, meaning a person, a man does not arrive at a full understanding of the words of the Torah unless he has first stumbled in interpreting them. Wow. Well, that's a very important piece of information. Now, remember, where is he getting that from? He's getting that from the prophet Isaiah. Where is the prophet Isaiah getting from? Well, he's a prophet. That means he's speaking the word of God. So who's telling us that you can't understand the, the Torah fully until you stumbled in interpreting it? God is telling us. God is telling us, you know something? This Torah, this magnificent gift that I've given you, you have to work in it. You have to work in it. You will make mistakes in it. I'm giving you this awesome present. It's called the land of Israel. You've got to conquer the seven nations in order to get it. I'm giving you a heart and a mind. And you know what? There's a blockage between the heart and the mind. I'm giving you a Torah. And you know what? This Torah, you're not going to understand it unless you make a mistake in it. Are you getting the theme? Are you getting it? So a person says, you know what? The Torah is too hard for me. The Torah is too hard for me. What's the proof that the Torah is too hard for me? Because I'm making mistakes all the time. I want to do it and then I don't do it. I start to do it and then I go, eh. That movie looks pretty good. So that must mean that there's some, there's some disconnect. And guess what? There is no disconnect. The disconnect has been built in. It's there to be overcome. 
The problem is not with you. You know, you say, you say, it's really hard for me to play tennis because my racket is so small. And the person says back to you, it's ping pong. You're supposed to make mistakes. It's supposed to be a process. Let's revisit that Pasuk. Hashem, your God, will thrust. Thrust means push away. Hashem, your God, will thrust these nations from before you little by little. You will not be able to annihilate them quickly, lest the beasts of the field increase against you. We explained it over Shabbos. Let me just say it quickly. We won't go into it in the same amount of time. The beasts of the field. This is the Sahara. If you conquer a wide area, if you conquer a mitzvah very, very quickly, you don't have a firm foundation, then the Sahara comes in. You know... That's the great chapter of, of the Yitzhahara. Uh, yeah. Right, right. Jeff, that's very important because... People who, who are Balei Tshuva, people who are coming later in life to Torah Mitzvahs, um, as I have as well, it's, there, there's such a temptation because you don't, you know, you know, when I used to go to Chinese restaurants that served Peking duck, it always used to say, I was always fascinated, it said, Peking duck, you must get 24 hours notice before you order this. <laughs> I always think, wow, you know. There are certain mitzvahs that take a lot of notice. And you just kind of hear about them in a class. You go, oh, okay, yeah. That shouldn't be so hard. I just have to um, go over the Parsha of the week two times and then once in Aramaic? Oh, okay, that, <laughs> that should be... And that's just called... Oh, and, that's, oh, and everyone's doing that? Uh, all right, you know. And then, wow, I... Having a lot of trouble with that one. I'm really depressed, you know. I don't really feel like opening up any more Torah books. Um, you know, there's certain mitzvahs, and they're all presented in the same way. And yet some of them, and then some of them are easy for other people and very hard for... You know, I, I once heard um, a Chabad uh, um, uh, guy who, um, you know, had one of these... Um, you know, he was, he was putting tefillin on people, you know, out on the street. And, and he said to me, and, you know, it's not that this is the, the most radical thought in the world, but I, it's true, I think, and, and I really appreciated how much he appreciated it. I was very moved by the way he said it. He said, you know, a lot of these people, they're putting on tefillin once, but for them... Like he said, for me to put on tefillin, it's second nature. I, I wake up, I put on tefillin. I, you know, I wouldn't think otherwise. He said, but for them, when they put on tefillin, it's like me going through an entire Yom Kippur. So there are some things that are easy for some people and they'll be very hard for you. And similarly, they'll be easy for you and very hard for other people. And there'll be other mitzvahs which are presented to you as just as, oh yeah, you know, and then you build a sukkah and, you know, it all, and then, oh, it's going to be great. And then you stand in your backyard and you go, build a sukkah? Where am I going to... i got to climb up a tree and saw off palm branches? I mean... It's, this is not... This is not easy. So, so yeah. So, so, you need good friends and good teachers to sort of orient you. You know what I mean? 
Okay. So, let's go back into this. Because um, I want to develop this further. I asked myself a question. You know, there are a lot of... We just learned a primary teaching, which is that a person doesn't arrive at the full understanding of the words of the Torah unless he's first stumbled in them. So I have a question right now. My question is this. The Gemara is very, very big. The Talmud is very, very big. If you learn one page a day, it takes you seven years. All right? And you can spend months and months on every single page. Okay? So, rabbis reverse themselves all the time. There's back and forth, and one sage tries to convince the other sage, and sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not, whatever it is. But there's a lot of reversal and convincing going on throughout the entire Gomorrah. And yet, isn't it interesting that this idea that you don't arrive at the full understanding of the words of the Torah unless you've stumbled in them, isn't it interesting that it's given in this case? He could have given it in any other case. But he gives it in the case about marrying a half-free slave woman. What's the connection? Why is the Gomorrah bringing it here? Why is Rabbah saying it here? So I came up with an answer and I want to share you, with you the answer. And it's consistent with what we've been talking about so far. Remember, miat, miat, little by little. So, one of the main tricks of the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination, is it comes up to you and it says, unless you're doing the entire mitzvah, don't bother to do it. Because if you're, you know what, if you're a woman and you light candles before Shabbos, right, before the sun goes down, it's very important if you're going to light candles to do it before the sun goes down, okay? Because it's a bigger mitzvah after the sun goes down not to light candles. In other words, you can do the mitzvah by not lighting the candles at that point. If you understand, you know, which is a little bit counterintuitive for some people because they want to do the action. But remember, there, there are two levels of service, main levels of service in terms of connecting to God. One is to do a positive action. The, the other is to refrain, to exercise discipline and to, to not do an action. So both of them are very, very holy. In fact, the refraining, there are 365 of those versus 248 of the others. So, in, in, in some ways, they're, they're even greater, believe it or not. Okay? So, so, let's say it's, you know, an hour after Shabbos. And then you go, oh, I forgot to light the candles. At that point, you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not light the candles. <laughs> and that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Okay? But, let's get back to this case. Let's say it's before it's, it's, it's still at the time when you can light the candles. And, but you're not keeping Shabbos yet. You're not, whatever it is, your life isn't at the place where you're keeping Shabbos yet. You're going to go to the movies, you're going to hop in your car, and you're going to pay for tickets, and who knows what else you're going to do, right? So you say to yourself, should I light Shabbos candles? I mean, really, aren't I just a big hypocrite? I'm going to light Shabbos candles, then I'm going to get in the car, and I'm going to go to the movies? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. You're not keeping Shabbos. You're not keeping the mitzvah. How, you know, then, then, you get, then your Yetzirah gets really righteous. How dare I light candles? <laughs> In fact, it's a bigger mitzvah not to do the mitzvah. You know something? I, I saw this with my own eyes. 
And I'm not, chas v'sham, God forbid, a million times, I'm not saying this to make fun of the person, God forbid. But I want to tell you something that I actually heard with my own ears. Someone came to Minyan, uh, I was in New York, and, um, you know, you get up at like 8 o'clock in the morning and you go to Minyan, you know, that means you're positively motivated. I mean, you obviously want to connect, because who told you to get out of bed and go all the way to shul, right? So he gets to shul, and he's not putting on tefillin. And someone says, you know, would you like to put on tefillin? And he said, these hands which held the lobster that I ate last night, how can I put tefillin on these hands? So, on the one hand, it sounds holy. On the other hand, it's so off. It's it's the it's one hundred percent off, one hundred percent off. And this is the ingeniousness of the Eight Sahara. The ingeniousness. And let me just step through this logic, because it's so important that we understand this. And we're going to connect this back to the half-freed slave woman in a second. Just so you know, we're still on that subject. You see, the Yetzirah says to you, what is your, what is your mainstay? And you say, it's my integrity, it's my personal integrity. What's the last thing you ever want to be? A hypocrite. Okay, so if you're not going to do the whole mitzvah, if you're only going to do part of it, and then you're going to go against it, that makes you a hypocrite. But what did we say earlier? We said that if you have a piece of yarn, imagine a piece of yarn made out of infinity, and you take one snip of that infinite yarn, How big is that snippet? Infinite. That means part of the mitzvah is also infinite. That means that if you light the candles, even if you go out, you've connected on an infinite level to part of the infinity of the mitzvah. Is there any shame in that? Is there anything wrong in that? It's the opposite. It's wonderful. What do we say? The gematria of mi'at, mi'at? 248. Little by little, 248 is the number of all the positive commandments. Right? When you add the yud. It gets you to that place of the ultimate thing. But you go, mi'at, mi'at, little by little. Alright, now let's go back to the half-freed slave woman. Listen. Listen to the conversation in this life. Can you marry a half-freed slave woman? So Rabba starts off by saying, you know what? It's like marrying half a woman. Right? Like we were joking around, like just her head. Right? Can you do it? Is that possible? Does that work? So in other words, you know, when you do mitzvahs, when you serve God, that's a relationship that's got to be a love affair. If it's not, remember, after we say, Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that God is one. Remember, the, the gematria of Echad, God is one, is the same as love in Hebrew. Ava, one, and love. One love, same, same word, same DNA. What's the next word in the Torah scroll? The Ahavta. And you shall love Him with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your resources. Ma'od me'odecha. It has the word ma'od in it. Ma'od means very. With all your very. Whatever your, whatever your passion is, whatever your very is, love God with all your very. Right? In other words, 
It's got to be a love thing. It's got to be a relationship. It's got to be. Otherwise, it doesn't work. The whole thing falls apart otherwise. So it's a marriage. So let's get back to the idea. Can you marry half a woman? So this is the Yitzhahara talking. You only want to do part of the mitzvah? You only want to marry half the mitzvah? Does that count? Is that a real kedushin? Is that a real official marriage? No. You can't just marry half the woman. Rabbi says, no, you can't just marry half the woman. Then they say, well, wait a second. Wait a second, Rabbi. Rav Chizda says, wait a second. But there's only part that's available. Me at my spiritual level right now, here are the choices. I can either light candles and go to the movies, or I can not light candles and go to the movies. Those are the two choices right now in front of me. What's available is the mitzvah of lighting candles for me right now. If I light candles, then I've done 100% of what's actually available to me right now. And Rabbi says, you're right. You're right. That's what you can do right now? And you're going to do all of that, which you can do right now? That's what it is. Do it. It's good. It counts. It's a marriage. That's a legitimate act of service. You're married to the mitzvah. You're married to God. You did it. You did it. All you could do was light the candles at that moment and you lit the candles. You did it. It's a real marriage. And that's why I want to say Rabbah brings down this tremendous claw, this tremendous foundation in Torah right here that a person doesn't Well, let me read the exact words. That a person doesn't arrive at the words of the Torah until he's first stumbled in them. Because the service of God necessitates a stumbling. It necessitates a little by little acquisition of the land. And that's why he's bringing this teaching here. And we have to understand that. We have to understand that in our own lives. Um, God has blessed us. He's blessed us by even giving us life. The very fact that we're here is just, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. And uh, life is hard. But we have to avoid a really important trap. And we'll just end it with this one, one, one thing. So many of us do something and we're not even aware that we're doing it. There's something in particular that we're praying for. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's two things, maybe it's three things, whatever it is. I want to get married. I, I, I want a job. I want a baby. I, I, I want uh, a, a healing. Whatever it is. And we, we, focus on, we focus on this thing. And we say, you know something? I know the truth. Every, it comes from God. I'm, I'm only going to get it if God gives it to me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to do mitzvahs. That's, that's how I'm going to get this thing. 
So I'm praying to God and I'm doing mitzvahs and I don't get this thing. And then I'm saying, God, I, I believe in you. I know it's you. I know you can do it. Give me this thing. I'm going to pray harder now for it. I'm going to do more mitzvahs now for it. And slowly, 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 we transform our relationship into God, you've got this thing. I want that thing. That's our relationship. Why do you hate me? And what about you woke up, you had a nice breakfast. <laughs> Where did that egg come from? The egg came from a chicken who kept, who kept the chicken alive in order to get you the egg. Who made the people who delivered the egg to the supermarket, who gave you money to buy the egg, to put it on the plate, who gave you a plate and a table, who gave you a mouth with teeth? <laughs> well, who, who gave you the air? Who stopped the earth from flying into the sun today? <laughs> but no, I don't have X. It's, but it happens... It happens so slowly. And the, the heartbreaking quality of it is that it comes from such a good place. This is why we don't recognize that we're doing it. Because it's born of a belief in God. It's born from that place. It starts off at a good, holy place. But then it becomes twisted and poisoned. So... You know, we have needs and they're legitimate needs and I'm not saying, oh, that thing you want, it's not a real thing. I'm not saying that. It is a real thing. It is important. But, take stock. Take stock. And remember, you know, you unwrap that birthday present and you see the cellophane cover and it says, due in two weeks. <laughs> you say, what kind of present is that? <laughs> and you took it out of which branch? <laughs> that's, that's in Montana. <laughs> got to go to the post office and mail it back? Yeah, well, I had a stopover, I thought. <laughs> just, so, you know, just thought I'd, and I know you love books about cooking, you know. Um, so so let's just review and we'll wrap it up God says you'll conquer the land little by little little by little because you've got to make a firm foundation when you've got a firm foundation then you own it then it's yours then the beasts of the field don't come in and ravage you right remember the experts now are like covering the uh doing the uh, post-mortem, so to speak, on the Iraq military strategy. And they're all saying, we didn't send in enough people. Our, 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 our strategy was, their army is not sophisticated. We don't need that many men. But you see, they're, I'm not a... You know, my father, believe it or not, this is the truth, I'm not making a joke, my father really wanted me to go to West Point. You know? And every day, there was a period of time over dinner, he'd say, I really want you to go to West Point. Which, if you know me, is kind of nutty. But anyway, um, but I, I, do, I do admire, you know, 
you know, strategy in general. And, um, you know, there, there are several parts to waging a war. One is winning the initial battle, but then you've got to maintain what you've, what you've won. And, and that's a fight in and of itself. That's a separate stage of the war. In terms of spirituality, once you achieve the mitzvah, you then have to keep on doing the mitzvah. That takes, that's a whole separate level. You have to think, you have to think intelligently. God says, little by little, because otherwise, you'll spread yourself too thin and the beast of the field, the Yetzirah is going to come in, it's going to undo the foundation. Make a foundation for yourself. Remember, there's a blockage. God put a blockage between our mind and our hearts for us to overcome. And it is a battle. And we will make mistakes, but those mistakes are built in. That's part of the initial game plan. God says, make the mistakes, then you arrive at the deeper level. And remember, marrying part of the slave woman, doing part of the mitzvah, that's a legitimate marriage. That's for real. Alright? So, let's just stay in it. Let's just stay in it, and we're going to see great things. We're going to see miracles that are going to blow our minds. They're going to blow our minds from this side of the universe to the next side of the universe. And just don't, don't bet against God. Don't bet against God. God's forever. We're not. You know? Bet on eternity. Bet on God. And God willing, we'll, we'll see it all soon. Okay. Thank <laughs> you.